Church, we are in the book of Mark. Everybody say Mark. And then afterwards, we should all say amen, right? Because this book has been a journey, a journey for us to discover who is Jesus. And so this morning, if you're here with us, the big question that Mark poses to you sitting in these seats is, who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? Because the answer to that question affects your entire life and not just your life here in this hundred years or less that you're on this planet, but also your eternity. How you you answer that question affects all of eternity for you. And so the book of Mark prepares us to get to know this person, this Messiah known as Jesus. We have been through an incredible journey so far, haven't we, church? We found out that Jesus is the king who has authority over evil. Amen? Oh, amen. He has authority over our well-being and our health. We say amen to that. He has the power to forgive us on behalf of God himself. Amen? And we've learned that. We've learned that Jesus is strongest. He's stronger than the strong man, Satan, who is the power and principalities that we face today. We know that Jesus is stronger. Amen? Oh, such good truths. We've learned that Jesus is the firstborn brother of many brothers and sisters. Amen? Oh, man, we've learned so much about Jesus Today, we're going to learn that Jesus is a teacher unlike any other. Jesus knows the hearts of humanity better than we know our own hearts. We're going to find out today that Jesus knows about us and is going to try to reveal something about us that is an incredible truth if you're willing to receive it this morning. And before we do, I want to give you a little picture. This is a good friend of mine. His name is Kyle. And this is Kyle and I walking uh, in the streets of, of Jaffa there in Israel. And then uh, we, uh, we were on a trip. Some of you guys, you know Tom, Pastor Tom, who is interim here. Some of you do. Uh, he allowed for me and my good buddy and a few of our good friends to go with him to Israel. And he gave us one of the greatest teaching sessions in Israel we could possibly have. And while we were there, we got to go to the Jordan River. Does anybody remember what happened to the Jordan River? A lot of things, but Jesus himself was baptized in the Jordan River. And so we got to go where traditionally where this happened. And my friend Kyle and I were walking towards the Jordan River on the Jordan side of the Jordan River. Not the Israeli side, but the Jordan side. It's much more arid and much more desert. And as we're walking down this pathway, Kyle looks at me and he goes, Shane, I'm so excited about going to the Jordan River. I was like, yeah, me too, Kyle. And he goes, yeah, because you're going to baptize me, right? I go, Kyle, this would have been pertinent information to have before we arrived at the Jordan River. Because I had nothing to get wet with. Like, I just had absolutely no change of clothes. We were going to be touring all day. But I looked at Kyle, and he's like, he's so excited about what God is doing in him. And I was like, I can't not baptize my friend. We're at the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. How can I not do this? And so I stripped down to nothing but my boxers and baptized my friend Kyle in my Hanes boxers. And it was kind of embarrassing for a moment, but then I just, I was like, you know what? Once in a lifetime opportunity to serve my friend in baptism. And I'll never forget, I was like, Kyle, 
man, if you could have let me know, I could have prepared, right? If you would have given me that one bit of information that you forgot, that one truth that you were going and wanted to get baptized, that would have been helpful. See, there's some times that we tend to forget important truths. And sometimes when we forget important information, at best case, it can cause an embarrassing situation. And at worst case, as we look in this passage, it can affect our eternity, leading to even hell if we do not respond to the pertinent information that Jesus is going to give us. If we don't respond to the word of God, if we don't hold it into our hearts and see it changes from the inside out, then it's of no good to us and we're missing some of the most pertinent and important information. So that's what we're going to talk about. Mark 4, 1 through 35. Mark 4, 1 through 35. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. We're going to go ahead and turn there. And I'm going to read the parable. And this is a cool scenario. This is one of the only times in Scripture where Jesus is going to teach in a parable. I'm going to unpack what parables are. And then he's going to turn to his disciples and he's going to explain to his disciples what the parable means. And so it's like a two-part passage with a little explanation for why Jesus teaches in parables. So let's dive into the Word of God, shall we? That's a great opportunity to say amen. All right, cool. I love participation. All right, Mark 4, 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat, it on, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. Okay, when King Jesus says, listen, what do you do? Listen, right? Let's listen. Behold, that's where you like lean in. When you hear listen, lean in. Everybody just lean in a little bit into your word, right? Into the Bible. Here we go. Behold. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Another seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, everybody just double check. Make sure they're still there. You got your ears? Just grab those ears and kind of wiggle them a little bit. So if you've got ears, it's time to hear. Okay, and then Jesus continues on, and he wants to explain to the disciples really briefly. I could teach a whole lesson on this, but why did Jesus teach in parables? He peels back the curtains and shows the disciples really briefly why he taught in parables. He says in verse 10, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you, he's given us an insight to why he teaches in parables. To you, he's talking to the disciples, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. 
Okay, so why did Jesus teach in parables? Why did he teach in parables? Jesus taught in parables. A quick, if you have your bulletins, I put this in your notes. To sum this up, and I could teach a whole lesson on this, it was to offend the prideful, offend the prideful, and invite the humble. Okay, so it was, it was to offend the prideful and invite the humble. We know Mark 4, through 34 tells us that there's a sense when Jesus told parables, I think a lot of times when we think of parables, we think they were so far out there and people didn't understand them when they heard them, but that's just not the case. He was using language that they would understand, an example that they would understand. And so we see that, that he says there in Mark 4, through 34, as they were able to understand, he taught in parables. It seems almost contradictory because he just said that he's teaching it so that they wouldn't understand. So what's going on here? What is Jesus trying to give this insight, trying to tell us why he teaches in parables? Because there's this sense that something about the parables, if you come to them with pride, you will hear, but you won't understand. What is that understanding? That understanding is that it applies to you, is that it applies to you. And so if you're here today and you like, like a lot of people listen to sermons and you're like, oh, that was really good for Susie over there. I know there's nobody here like that, right? They needed to hear this. No, 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 no. Jesus is saying, if you're here and you're humble, you need to hear this. You need to hear this. That's the word. That's the truth of God. Before you begin to think this is good for so-and-so, Jesus says, you need to think about your own heart, your own heart. Because if you're here and you're prideful and you're thinking about others, you're going to miss the truth that Jesus is giving to you. You're going to miss it. Not because you don't understand the principles, but because you forget the application. Okay? <clears throat> Something had to prevent them from seeing. So, again, Jesus taught in parables to what? Offend the and to invite the humble. That's right. Uh, Mark 4, 24, if you wind down in that passage, and said to them, pay attention to what you hear. How many times does Jesus say, pay attention, listen? He's clamoring for us to lean in, to lean into the truth that he's about to reveal because he has an insight to your and my heart that most people don't. So we're gonna talk about four types of ground Everybody hold up the number four, four types of ground, four types of ground that the truth or the word of God lands on. When we look at this parable, Jesus begins to unpack it. Um, let's, let's look here. He begins to unpack it. So he turns to his disciples. They ask him, why do you, he said to them, uh, so verse 13, and he said to them, do you not yet understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Let's pause there for a second. Who is the sower? Who's the sower in this parable? Well, Jesus is the sower in this, right? He's the sower of truth. But see, here's the thing. Jesus is talking about the word of God. This parable can explain anybody who is a sower of the word of God, somebody who casts out or throws out the word of God. So if you share the word of God with people, you can be, or you can think of yourself as a sower in this parable in particular and to the crowd that he's talking about, Jesus is saying, he is the sower. But we can join Jesus in his pursuit of sowing truth, can't we? 
of casting out truth, of, of presenting the gospel, of showing people the truth. And so we can, in a sense, relate to uh, Jesus when he says, I'm the sower. We can relate to this idea of broadcasting God's word. Each of these types of planting Problems were very common. So when we talk about the three problem grounds and the one good ground, we can know that these were very common problems of the day. How many of you are farmers? Or how many of you grow things? I'm not very good at this. I had to ask for some help on how, like, what does growing look like uh, because I'm less nurturing than a desert. Ask my kids. Sorry, guys. But these were common problems for planting, for farming in the day. Each type is the same material, right? So we're talking about dirt. Can we just say that? We're talking about dirt. What does the dirt, what does the soil represent in these parables? The human heart, the human heart. That's what it represents, the human heart. Okay, so the dirt, that's us. Awesome, say, I'm dirt. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, problem is not with the sower or the seed. So is the problem here the seed of truth, the word of God? Is there something wrong with it that, that's going to cause it not to grow? No, what, where's the problem exist? In the dirt, okay? Jesus is already revealing to us that we have a heart condition. Do you see it? You see it? We have a heart condition. There's something wrong with their soil, Right? So the problem is changing the message or the method will not change how it will grow or not grow. So I want to ask, as we look into this parable and Jesus begins to unpack, we need to ask, who is the audience? Who is the audience of this parable? Whenever you read a parable, you need to ask, who is the audience? That will help you understand the context for what Jesus is trying to teach. So who is the audience here? Look at the beginning of the passage. There's a really big crowd, isn't it? So much so that he has to go get into a boat. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a big crowd? Are there lots of different people from different backgrounds in a big crowd? Okay, so this parable is for a real mixed group, isn't it? Okay, this parable in particular, let me ask you, is it for Christians, people who follow Jesus? Yes. Is it for people who haven't followed Jesus and placed their faith in him yet? Yes, because this is a mixed crew. So there's really two ways that you can take this parable. You can say this is for the believer warning them about how they receive truth. And you can say that this is for the unbeliever, the person that's not yet saved. And Jesus is saying this is how you will respond to the gospel, which could save you. Okay? So there's two cents that we can take this parable with Jesus because he's preaching to a mixed crowd. And so I want you to hear this as we go through these next three problem soils is this is the natural state for how we receive God's word. This is how you and I naturally, this is the human condition. When we hear truth that applies to us, these are our baseline responses, our guttural response. How many of you like have ever had the thing where you get hit on the knee and you can't control that little reaction? Okay, so Jesus is saying, this is how you naturally respond when I hit your knee or your heart with that little hammer. This is your natural response. This is how you respond. Okay, it starts. Let's look here, continuing on. Verse 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, where they hear Satan immediately comes and he takes away the word that is sown in them. 
I want you to think about this because you have all had this experience. Because if I were to sit down with you and ask you what I preached four Sundays ago, how many of you have no idea what I preached? <laughs> right? Larry's the one, he, he raised his hand. He's the one honest guy here, right? How many sermons have you sat in on? How many Bible studies where you got these amazing truths and you walked out and you're like, I cannot remember what we just learned, but I know it was important. How many of you have ever read the Bible and you get to the end of the page and you're like, what was I doing? You ever done that? Is it just me? Okay, good. I have to read it like three, four times, right? There's this sense that when we receive the truth, the word of God, it's a battle to keep it because something likes to take it from us. As soon as you walk out these doors today, you walk out that front door, there's going to be something that's waging and trying to keep you from accepting and holding on to the truth of God. Today, you are going to be in this battle. And he starts with the path. Let's talk about the path. He explains it. Verses 13 to 15. So he says, where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown within them. So there's this common thing within the, the farm. There were paths that go through the fields, okay? There's paths that oftentimes get worn down because people are walking and treading through them. And here's the picture that Jesus is giving, that when we sow the truth, when we sow the word, sometimes it lands on this path that has been hardened by the stepping on of people, paths that go through the field, okay? And he's saying that there's this sense that, that this heart has been trampled upon. It's hard. Unbelief and sin leave this heart hard. There's a sense where this person sometimes is so bitter and so downtrodden and so given into their defeated state that their heart is hard. Have you ever seen people in this state? Have you ever been in this state? Right? Where you're just, your heart is hard against receiving the truth. You don't want to be corrected. You don't like to be called out. Anybody there? You're just kind of exhausted. Sometimes I come to the word of God and I'm like, God, I just can't take the correction right now. I'm exhausted where you just kind of don't want to, you ever get that where you just don't want to open your Bible because you know God's going to call you out and you want to avoid it? So you're like, I'll read my Bible later. I just, I put, I just don't feel like it right now. I just don't, that's that hardness of heart that seeps in because you've been trampled upon. You've been trampled upon. And there's this sense that the crows, right? He talks about the, the birds that come and pick the seeds of truth on those hard hearts. See these hard harps? There's a sense that they're vulnerable to the picking up of truth. The goal of the sower is that the truth that he is casting out is that it would change the lives, that it would save the lost, and that it would encourage the believer. Amen? That's what the word of God does, doesn't it? So when we avoid it because we have a hard heart, what happens? We miss the truth of God's word. It's path like concrete, inflexible and unwilling to review. Many of us, maybe we've done Bible studies when we were a youth or when we were kids. Maybe you grew up in the church and you, you're like, I know exactly what I believe. I don't have to review that passage. I don't have to look back at God's word because I know it. And we never reflectively look back at those passages. I know a man who said, you know, I read the Bible. I know it. I got it down pat. I don't have to review it. That's a hardness of heart. Because see, the word of God, when you open that thing up, it penetrates. 
right? It penetrates your heart. And it, it sometimes can divide and it sometimes can call things out that you have just shut the door on. So always be willing to open your Bible and listen again. Don't get to a place where you've just sunk into your patterns of Christianity and refuse to go to the shepherd, the good shepherd, the voice of God. Resistance to new and changing information. A lot of us in today's world, like even as parents, right? I have to be reviewing all the time. How do I be a parent in the digital age? Anybody at a loss there? I should be learning from you guys. What do we do? This parenting thing in the digital age is complicated. Parenting is, so we got to be able to open up and engage in the timeless truths of God's word and apply them to a new and changing culture. The, me- the, the truths don't change, but the culture has. How do we apply the truths, the timeless principles of God's word to our lives today? We can't get such a hardness of heart. And we have so many examples in scripture of this same type of hardness of heart that Jesus is talking about, the hard path, the hard path. Uh, let me read here verse 13. And he said to them, you do not understand this parable. How then will you understand the parables um, so he's talking about the hard path. Here's some examples out of scripture. Excuse me. Acts 7.51 says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and your ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did. So do you. Okay? That's an example of a hardness, the rocky path. God's giving to, who are these people that Jesus is particularly talking about? Or in Acts, uh, it's talking about the Pharisees, the religious people, Right? So this rocky path is the religious people. If you've gone to church, you're not immune to being a rocky path to the word of God. Did you know that? Just because you've gone to church doesn't mean that you are not hardened against God's truth and what he has to say to you. Jeremiah 19.15. Here's another example of a rocky path. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I am bringing upon the city and upon all its towns all the disaster that I've pronounced against it because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. I know some of you deal with cattle, right? The, the idea or the principle there of a stiffed neck is what? A stubborn, stubborn cow, right? Somebody stubborn who's refusing to turn, just sinking their heels in, not wanting to be challenged or directed, 2 Chronicles 36, 11 through 13 is another example of the rocky ground, the path. Zedekiah was 21 years old. Any young fellows here? When he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet. What did Jeremiah the prophet have for him? The word of God, the truth, the truth. That's all Jeremiah bore for him, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened. I'm trying to harden my neck. Like, how do you stiff your neck? Any examples there? I just look weird now. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fool who despises wisdom and destruction has no delight in understanding, but only in expressing his own heart. How many of you, when somebody's talking, you're already formulating what your response is? You're not listening. You've already got the perfect argument set up on deck, right? 
How many of you don't listen to the word of God? How many of you already have what you're going to say? There's this sense then that the rocky path is at the mercy of Satan. If vulnerable because of the hardness of their heart, there's the sense that these people can sometimes be beat down by maybe it's religion, maybe it's been beat into them. Anybody have those, those upbringings where it's just like, this is how it has to be. I can't envision it any other way, right? And so there's this hardness, this inflexibility. There's this sense that when the truth falls on this rocky ground, that it's alone. It's trying to figure out life without a lifeline. And brothers and sisters, I come across and I have for so, even this last week, I came across a person and they had never really man, been discipled, been told about the way of Jesus. And so this person was just trying to figure life out on their own. You ever been there? Have you ever been there where you're just like, man, I don't know what's next. I don't, uh, for kids, this is called adulting, right? When you have to learn how to be an adult and sometimes you can feel really alone in that. You ever had to figure out how to do family life? Maybe you haven't had an example. You haven't had somebody mentoring you. You just kind of figure life out on your own. See, there's the sense that the rocky path is alone. You're alone. When the truth lands on you, you're alone. And that makes you vulnerable. That's why we say come to church, why the Bible says don't neglect the meeting with one another. Why? Because we're better together, aren't we? Amen, church. We're better together and we are not as vulnerable to the hardness of heart. And we can even make sure that the truth doesn't miss one another, but we can help each other walk in the truth of God's word together can't we? That's the benefit of being the family of God like we talked about last week. It should break our heart. When I think about the people on Rocky Path, I think it, it really breaks my heart that we should go after them. And there's a sense then also that Satan, we know who Satan is. We've talked about this before. Satan is the father of what? He's really good at lying, right? Have you ever met somebody who's really bad at lying? You're, <laughs> Some of you need to raise your hand, right? Really bad at lying. I'm really bad at lying, right? Because my, my lies are just so obvious. The thing about Satan, he's not as obvious because what he does is he takes little kernels of truth and he twists them and he takes them. That's what he's done in our culture, right? Here's where you can get people that use the Bible to beat people down. They take a little bit of truth and they begin to beat others with it, don't they? That's how Satan has taken the truth and he's twisted it. And we've seen whole historical awful events where God's word has been taken and twisted and his truth has been taken and twisted. The Crusades. There's some tragedies in Christian history because the truth and the word of God has been taken and twisted because Satan is a good liar, isn't he? It's not obvious. He's spent an entire career, an entire many, many hundreds of years perfecting the art of lying. And so for those that are hardened in the hardened path, they're particularly susceptible to those lies where Satan takes the truth and he twists it. Okay, let's keep moving in the interest of time here. Okay, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word immediately, they receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a, for a while. Then... When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The picture here is the truth landing on this kind of deserty, arid kind of ground. That there's literally rock under the soil. 
This is really deceptive. Sometimes maybe you've seen these people in your life where they respond to the word of truth really quickly. They get excited. They sign up for children's ministry of all things, right? They get really pumped about what God has done for them and they go all in, all in for about, and I've typically seen the time frame is about a year, year and a half. And then they can go no further and they get burnt out. And they don't walk it out, but instead they went all in. And, and so those truths, we've had celebrity Christians fall into this. I think of the band Gunger. And anybody remember the song, You Make Beautiful Things? I love that song. I think of, I think of Gunger. Gunger, and if you read this, uh, they've started to shift their theology. They were new believers and they were extremely talented musicians. And so what happens when you're an extremely talented musician, but you have no depth? You get thrown into the spotlight because you're really talented. And then what happens? And we've seen it so often, haven't we? Really talented musicians. So Gunger began to, to shift and change, and it was because they began to face persecution, not just persecution, but strife in their Christianity, and they couldn't make sense of that strife. And so very, our Christian celebrities fall prey to this all the time because they're extremely talented but with no depth. And so they sprung into popularity in Christian cultures and circles. And then what happens? How about, uh, what is it, Kiss Dating Goodbye? Joshua Harris? Anybody read that book? Oh, come on. I know it was on everybody's bookshelf, right? You know, Joshua Harris has recanted and completely left the faith. He wrote a book. Everybody got excited about it. He had no depth. And now he's no longer a Christian. It's the shallow ground. We've seen this played out over and over it's deceptive. There's a small layer of dirt over rock. It grows up quickly. Farmers often actually identify them in this way. Did you know farmers, when they see it spring up really fast, they're hesitant because it's not healthy growth. Should we be watching out for that with one another? Well, that's kind of a hard thing. It's easy to call people out on sin. It's a lot harder to call people out on, hey, slow down. You need depth here. You need basics here. Because we're just excited to have somebody who's willing to serve, right, church? And we get so excited that we throw them into all of these things. We've got to be really cautious about not doing that to people because we end up encouraging the shallow ground as a church. We don't want to do that. So brothers and sisters, if I tell you to slow down, it's because I love you. It's not because I don't think you're qualified. It's not because it's just I love you and I want to protect you from getting burned out on the church. Without deep roots, they won't last in a dry climate. Hard times will come. Amen? That's a hard one to say amen to, but hard times will come. So these people, when they receive the word of God, they receive it, they embrace it, but then they begin to deconstruct their faith when things get hard. Anybody heard that term? Hey, by the way, deconstruction of your faith, I think is a good thing if you arrive at genuine faith. If you're deconstructing the, the man-made church, yeah, we're, we're sinful. And we've, we've added a lot of things to church that maybe aren't necessarily of God. And so if you're deconstructing those things, I say have at it. But every time a deconstruction should lead you to deeper faith, not no faith. Does that make sense? Man, we've had so many uh, young celebrity people who have come out and deconstructed their faith and walked away from it. Um, these people in particular, the shallow, those of the shallow ground, they're, they're susceptible, I would say, to the prosperity gospel. 
the false prosperity gospel where we come in and, and the church makes all these promises. You're going to get healed. You're going to get money. If you, if you just believe in God, he's going to give you everything that makes you feel good. I hear it. No. And that leads people to this shallow ground because they get bought into Christ, not because of who God is and because of eternity and because of his salvation. They get bought into it because, man, I really like the way he makes me feel. Who's driving the ship there? My feelers. And those are not a good way to go. How many of you know that your feelings have lied to you? <laughs> There's some answer, like some honest people here this morning. Yes, we are great at lying to ourselves, aren't we? A lot of times these folks will respond superficially. Jesus will fix my worldly problems and make it easier. It's important to be upfront that Jesus may not fix your worldly issue. It's important to know that God is more worried about your eternity than he is worried about how you're doing right here. He's more worried about your holiness than he is about your happiness right here, right now. Because what is more important is your righteousness, your holiness in him, because he's preparing you for an eternity of joy with him. He doesn't want you to have just joy right now. Don't settle for the mud cakes of joy that this life will present to you, but settle for the eternal treasures that Jesus has for us in the eternity to come in this life and the next. That is why we don't want to be having our hearts fall into the shallow response of God's word. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. See, brothers and sisters, true believers, believers that have been transformed by the gospel, by true salvation, they endure to the end. They endure to the end when we get to go before Jesus and stand before him. I'm going to keep going in the interest of time. Here's such a big passage, you guys. And others are the, are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. I would say in our culture, this is Satan's number one strategy for distracting believers from receiving God's truth. As soon as you walk this, this door, you're going to get texts, you're going to get news you're going to be bombarded with distractions, aren't you? All of the time. But see, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world can be so distracting. James 1.8 talks about this person. Their prayers are even hindered because they're double-minded. They have a caboose motive for praying in relationship with God. They want God to give them the, the pleasures of their flesh. And instead, we end up using God to get to our God, little g-God. We end up using God. And see, here, here's where the truth lands on us, and it gets choked out. James 1, 6 through 8 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. James 4, 4. All right, there's just so much of this. The, the friend of the world is an enemy to God, is an enemy to God. Do you know the Bible says that? A friend to the world is an enemy to God? There's this sense 
where, man, if we, if we embrace everything that the world gives us, that that's going to weed out the truth of God. How many of you are good at setting boundaries on your television, boundaries on what you read or what you take on, because you want to preserve for yourself room and space for God's word? Do you cut out in your schedule, in your mind, space for God's word? Or is it the thing that you throw on the top after you've accomplished everything else? You see what I'm saying? Brothers and sisters, we're in danger of being distracted and completely missing the word of God because we haven't intentionally cut out time for God's word. Make space. Everybody say that with me. Make space for God's word to impact us, to dwell on it, to think on it. I think of uh, when we talk about this uh, this person, so this, I refer to them as the weedy person, the weedy person. I think of the rich young ruler. This guy comes to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what must I do? I've done everything that I, I could do to follow you. What must I do? And Jesus knew the one idol in his heart that he couldn't let go of, didn't he? And Jesus said, I want you to sell all of your belongings and follow me. And what did the rich young ruler do? He walked away from Jesus because his things had choked out the truth of God's salvation in his life. It's not bad to have things, is it? But it is not good to make those things own you. And we have to hold our things. Man, we have an abundance of things, don't we, as Americans? And we can't hold those things with such a tight grip that we're not willing to let go of them. Does that make sense? All three of these soils could be viewed as unbelievers, because none of them bore fruit to the maturity, Christians uh, can also fall into any one of these traps because th this is the most natural response of the human heart to the word of God. All three of these soils are the most natural and common response to truth. If you do nothing, this is how you will respond to God's word. Do we, do we understand that? If we do nothing... Honestly, the, the third is not common. Or Yeah, so the, the fourth is not common and must be fought for. It comes with hard work, diligence, and discipline. There's this sense that the fruitful, the fruitful ground, let's mark 20, but those that are sown on the good soil, everybody say good soil, are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Everybody say amen. There's this sense that this soil, right, has been tilled, it has been softened, it is humble, and it responds to God's word, and it, it produces fruit. These are, these are folks that are honest with themselves. They are willing to recognize that they are sinners, that they're, they're capable of infinite deception of themselves, infinite sin, and they are desperately in need for Jesus every moment of every day. They are honest with themselves in their need for Christ. Therefore, they produce fruit. We can't do this on our own. We can't just till our own hearts. We need Jesus in that, don't we, brothers and sisters? That's what God's word does. We need the word of God. John 8, 31, there's this sense, if you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. So there's this sense of endurance. When you are a believer that is of the good soil, you endure things that no other people could endure. We have a hope in this earth that allows us to endure suffering and pain and hardship like nobody else. Why? Because we have a hope that's so much bigger than today. And so we bear fruit because our hope is not in today, it's in the eternity. And when your hope is in eternity and your hope is in Christ, you produce eternal fruit and it endures 
and it produces 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And there's this sense of obvious fruit. And by the way, do you notice it's at different amounts, but all in abundance, right? Some of you don't need to produce 100-fold fruit. Some of you, God has placed you in the hard season in the hard place where what fruit God produces in you, it may not be as obvious as some others, but man, it is still the good fruit of, of our eternity and our connection to Christ. Amen. And so don't feel under this pressure like, oh man, why haven't I led a hundred to Christ? Calm down. That might not be where God has you, but if God has you there, <laughs> you should be producing that fruit. We sow, brothers and sisters, this church, First Baptist Riverton should sow in Riverton and Fremont County, amen? We reap what we sow. And, and so some of the seed is dispersed. will fall on the good soil if we do not give up. There's this sense, again, we can relate to our father's business. I get that our father is a farmer. He's a fisher, a farmer and a fisher. He's sowing seeds of truth. And what is he doing? He's catching fish. And so there's this sense as a church, brothers and sisters, we get to be farmers and we get to be fishermen with our father because that is the business that he is in. He sows the truth and scatters it broadly. Is there any human who is drawing breath today that doesn't need the gospel of Jesus Christ? The answer is a resounding no. Share, as, share with everyone as you can. We broadcast as broadly as Jesus broadcasts the truth. Share with everyone as clear and as precisely as you can. See, a growing church is directly correlated to the frequency with which its members, that's us, shares the gospel and invests in people for Jesus. Okay? It's not how good pastor preaches. That's not going to grow this church but it's going to be the quiet moments where God empowers you to share the gospel and invest in other people for the sake of Jesus. That is what's going to grow this church. That's where we're going to see people come. In, in numbers, we're going to see them come when we become a people <clears throat> who sow the gospel broadly. 100% of the people that you don't speak the gospel to will not come to Christ. I want you to think about what I just said there. 100% of the people that you don't share the gospel with will not come to Christ. That's, that's just, if you don't do it, how will they hear? How will they believe if no one is sent and if no one says anything, how will they come? You all hear, all of us hear, we believe because somebody did what? Sowed the truth and brought it to us throughout all of history. And you're right, died on the cross. That's the news that we share that's the news that we share, but that news was shared throughout history because somebody carried it to somebody else. That truth, that seed that's been given to you, did you know it was not meant to stay with you? Did you know that? It was given to you so that you would give it to somebody else. We need to be a church. Hear, hear me, and I'm going to speak on this, and I, I know I'm going long. I want you to hear my heart, church. My prayer for us is that we would be a church of disciples of Jesus who would make disciples of Jesus. That's it. There's no greater joy. There's no greater goodness. There's nothing more that we're going to impact this world more powerfully than a church that makes disciples who makes disciples. So we want to be disciples who make disciples. The effectiveness of God's word depends on the condition of the human heart. We must trust God to replace our stone heart with one of flesh. So what does that mean for you? So that's the good soil. So what? Oh, I didn't get my other notes here, but till your heart. When you walk out of here, 
When you receive information, psychologists have explained that it, any information, the information I just gave you, it's going to go into your short term or your working memory, okay? In order for you to get that into your heart and into your long-term memory, you have to labor over it. You have to review it. You have to fight to keep it. That's why I always give you discussions for your small group leaders, because it would be really easy to leave here and completely forget what we just talked about. So till your heart, till your heart of come to God with humility and do the work to hold on to the truth. Would you avoid the distractions that berate you this week? Expect, brothers and sisters, hardship because it will come as a believer, your promised hardship. And brothers and sisters, if God gives you the joy and the opportunity to produce fruit, to produce fruit, go all in because I guarantee you won't regret doing the work of Christ. Small group questions for you this week. What area of life do you refuse to let God's word affect? What area of your life do you refuse to let God's word affect? How's your faith when trial comes? What pleasures of life grab your attention away? And where has there been noticeable fruit in your life? Where has there been noticeable fruit in your life? These are hard questions, but I hope you have some fruitful conversations this week. I'm going to invite uh, Jennifer to come up, and I just want to spend a moment. Let's, let's pray. I want to give you an opportunity to just seek your own heart, search your own heart. Would you spend a minute? Here's that space. If you haven't carved out space, here's the space. Would you do work with the Lord and say, where is my heart? What is the condition of my soil? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and just pray and ask that, pray that prayer. And as you do, maybe some of you here haven't placed your faith in Jesus just yet. Maybe you haven't quite decided to give everything of your life to him. Would you let today be the day that your heart is soft to the truth? The truth that Jesus lived the perfect life that you couldn't. He had perfect relationship with God the Father. And now he wants to give that to you. That perfect relationship, but it comes by faith that you trust that Jesus paid the price for your sin. The thing that separated you and divided you from God has been removed and paid by Jesus. Would you believe that? And if you're here this morning and you haven't done that, all you have to do is, Jesus, I believe and I trust. And it says, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says, you can be saved. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't been saved, let today be the day of your salvation. I'm begging you. And if you're a Christian here, let today be the day that that salvation begins to produce fruit. That you begin to listen and be changed from the inside out by God's truth. And it does something in you. And you can't be, you can't be the same. You can't be the same because of what God's truth has done in you. Let today be the day that that happens. I'm gonna give you an opportunity if you need to respond or come and be prayed for. I wanna give you a moment to uh, come up or see me after the service. I'll close this in prayer and we can, we can talk. I wanna pray for you. I wanna weep with you. I wanna rejoice with you. I'll close this here. Lord Jesus, 
I pray for my brothers and sisters here, God, and I pray that if any do not know you, let today be the day that they truly did understand. By you, Holy Spirit, I pray for your power to save. Let the word that you gave us do the saving, God, and I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And for the Christians here, Lord, I pray they'd be greatly encouraged, greatly encouraged, Lord, that you have immense amount of fruit to produce in them. They have only to walk in faith by you. Lord, I pray that for every believer here in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Jennifer's going to keep playing, guys. Go ahead, and uh, you're dismissed. But if you need some prayer, please come talk to me. Thanks for being here, and happy Sunday.